Make sure that you have God's word open in front of you so that you can see that what we're learning together is not my ideas from a human, but is the very word of God for us today. So if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. There's someone who does have access and give you uh, a scripture in your own lap. Okay, great. Well, Acts chapter 4, and remember the story thus far. Acts chapter 1, verses 8. Uh, is really kind of the theme statement of the book of Acts where Jesus says that the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon the disciples, the apostles, kind of the special chosen delegates of Jesus. And they will be his witnesses starting in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And we are in the segment, chapters 2 to 7, which is focusing on Jerusalem. The gospel that there's newness of life in Jesus Christ, that this gospel is being proclaimed, in the Jerusalem area, and oftentimes what we're seeing the stories is kind of surrounding the temple. At the time and place, in the first century, the temple was kind of the power center where you'd go to try to find blessing from God. What's amazing is that uh, we're seeing in Acts is actually the blessing of God, truly knowing who God is, is happening through the faithful speaking of God's word from these apostles and not in the temple. That God's power and presence is now found in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you look at, uh, from starting in chapter 3 all through chapter 4, you'll notice this word name, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord Jesus, is repeated over and over again. In fact, in uh, chapter 4, the passage we studied just before this one, you'll see that the question that the Jewish authorities, the leaders in the temple are asking the apostles is, by what name and by what power are you doing these things? By what name? And they're faithfully proclaiming the name of Jesus and that this man, chapter 3, was healed through the name of Jesus. And then all of these speeches and confrontations are happening because of this repeated speaking of the name of Christ. That's important to understand because as the apostles are experiencing persecution and threats and opposition in the passages before this, they then come to our passage knowing, we need to be knowing, that they just were proclaiming the name of Jesus and then they faced opposition and threat because of their faithful speaking the name of Christ. That there's only one name, it says in chapter 4, under heaven by which people can be saved, can be in right relationship with God, and it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're proclaiming that and they're facing opposition and threat. And then we come to Our passage, starting in verse 23 of chapter 4, the Jewish leaders have just threatened and opposed the speaking of the name of Jesus by the apostles. And here's what we find. The question we're going to ask this morning is this. How should we as the church respond faithfully to opposition, to the obstacles that will come up in our life as we seek to be faithful to Jesus, as we seek to live our lives faithfully for Jesus in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhood, our community, wherever it is that you live your life, nine to five, you know, every day. And we want to be faithful to Jesus and speak openly about Jesus. As we do that, we're going to face opposition. How do we respond faithfully to the opposition that we're going to experience? That's the question this text seeks to answer. So let's listen carefully to God's word for us today, starting in verse 23 of chapter 4 of Acts. When they were released, Peter and John, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined determined beforehand, predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given to us in love. Let's pray together. Father, this is your word. These are your people whom you love, and I am first of all a servant to you and to your word, and secondly, I am a servant to these precious people. So please help me come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ, as Paul talks about in Romans 15. Our greatest desire this morning is to see Christ, to see the loveliness of Jesus, your Son, and so by your Spirit, help us learn all that you teach, obey all that you command, delight in all that you love, and trust trusting all that you promise through the gospel of Christ, your son. In his name we pray. Amen. So how should the church respond faithfully when opposition comes at us? I did college ministry years ago. Uh, For one year, I was in Chicago just after graduation. It was kind of a gap year between my undergrad days and then going to graduate school. I did a year kind of of college ministry, part of a local church. And there was one man, uh, call him Sam. I developed a friendship with Sam. He was an undergrad student at the local uh, secular university. And I became friends with him. I spoke, to, uh, spoke about Jesus with him often. We read portions of the Bible together. We'd meet at Chipotle, uh, just across the street from our church, near the uh, campus, and we'd talk about Jesus. Over and over again, it seemed like the Lord was at work in his life. It was very, very exciting um, to be a part of this man's life, part of Sam's life, speaking openly about Jesus to him. But one day, via text, I still remember this, he said, Wade, I no longer want to meet with you anymore, especially if you want to keep talking about Jesus with me. And to experience a little minor form of opposition, it was very discouraging. It was very disheartening. Uh, It was very hurtful and confusing. It made me wonder, did I do something fundamentally wrong here? I thought things were going, were trending so well towards success here with with this young man and helping him understand Jesus. And yet... He wanted nothing more to do with, refuse, a a rejection of me speaking openly about Jesus. It was a form of opposition. Not major, but it was a form of opposition. Have you ever experienced something like that before? Now, I want to clarify, there's probably two types of opposition that we face as Christians seeking to be faithful in our time and place. The first is what I might call an A-level, A-level opposition, which is most directly tied to this passage, right? A Christian opens their mouth to speak faithfully about Jesus. And as they do that, the world responds with anger, threats, discouragement, or animosity in some some form. Opposition because you're speaking openly about Jesus, right? This is what happened to Peter and John, right? The passage just before us. 
they're speaking openly about Jesus, opposition, and threat, right? The first example, there could be several examples of this. We could probably spend the rest of the time thinking about different examples of ways that we might be opposed as we seek to be faithful to the Lord Jesus and speak openly about him and his love and forgiveness in the gospel. One, maybe you have a teenage daughter right now who rejects any Jesus-focused counsel from you as mom and dad because she just doesn't care about the Christian faith right now. Just total rejection, that's opposition. Example number two, a young man refuses to listen to his parents as they clearly want to explain and teach this young man uh, the Bible's definition of sexuality and gender because this young man has fully embraced the LGBTQ agenda of way of thinking about himself. That's a form of opposition toward mom and dad who are just trying to be uh, not oppressive at all, just loving, helpful, kind, patient, calm towards their son, teach him about Jesus and his ways of sexuality and gender, and yet stiff arm. And the young man thinking that mom and dad are oppressing him in some way, right? Now, this type of opposition, by the way, is going, we have to be ready for this. It's going to be happening all the time. I'm reading a book right now. The title is called A Strange New World. And it's basically explaining how is it that what seems basically in the past two, three decades, uh, there's been a radical shift in how our culture thinks about sexuality and gender, specifically in human identity, And as Christians, if we're going to be faithful to what God clearly teaches in his word about who Jesus is and what Jesus expects from us as uh, sexual beings made in his image, marriage between one man and one woman, et cetera, uh, there's going to be pushback. And probably several of us have already experienced this in some form or fashion in our workplace. And probably a lot of us are having these conversations around our dinner table where our beloved, wonderful young children are stiff-arming or kind of the proverbial middle finger to mom and dad as we're just trying to gently, calmly open up God's word to them and teach them about who Jesus is. Opposition. Number three, right? In a conversation with a coworker, you explain that you're a Christian and their understanding, which is correct, is they understand that Christians believe that to be in a right relationship with God only happens through one person. His name is Jesus. They don't like that. They've bought into the secular way of thinking, which is it's a choose-your-own-adventure in terms of uh, spirituality with God, and in the end, it all ends in the same place, and all is fun and happy and daisies. The issue is you don't believe that as a Christian. And so, in light of after that conversation where you explain these things or you reveal that you're a Christian, your coworker starts passively, aggressively disrespecting you in different ways. Not overt. Uh, they're not complaining uh, to, you know, to management about you or whatever, but just things that fundamentally change. That's a form of opposition. Now, right, these are, we might say, the American Christian versions of opposition right now in North Korea and Somalia and Afghanistan, some of the places with the highest amount of persecution, our dear, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, their lives are at stake for following Jesus faithfully. Just as we'll see actually the same thing happening in the book of Acts. But it's still opposition nonetheless. That's level A. Level B opposition is this. Challenges in your life that seem to hinder your ability to faithfully proclaim Jesus. Challenges in your parenting right now. Marriage or family. Challenges at the workplace. Psychological, emotional challenges that we face. Uh, Temptations towards sin that always seem to drag you down. Whatever it is, basically, all of us have areas of weakness in our life that feel like hindrances or obstacles that block our ability, that we think block our ability for going all out in obedience to Jesus. In truth, if this thing was removed, Lord, 
as Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, remove this thorn and I will be just all out for Christ. I will have so much power and faithfulness in my life. And of course, the Lord keeps the thorn to humble him and make him rely on God's power. But we all have those areas, obstacles, okay? So there's level A, which is overt opposition as you speak faithfully about Jesus, and level B, in terms of those obstacles we all experience, hindrances that we think, if this thing was just kind of unlodged from my life and thrown in the trash bin of history, I could really move forward with some serious faithfulness and fruitfulness in my Christian life. So the question is, all of us are experiencing some level of those. How do we remain faithful in the midst of that opposition and obstacles to the Lord Jesus? How do we as a church remain faithful? And our passage answers that wonderfully, and it's this, okay? Because of our big God who is sovereign and ruling over all things, as, as we pray to our big God together, praying to our big God, taking our obstacles and opposition to the Lord in his sovereignty, that those oppositions, those obstacles are actually not hindrances, but they actually, in his, his sovereign love for us, they become pathways of the gospel advancing through our life. Which means that in your Christian life, you can actually begin to dream again, a big dream for the kingdom of Jesus. That because of how sovereign and wonderful and in control our God is, there's nothing in your life fundamentally that is a setback for his power being displayed through your life in Jesus Christ. As we pray these things to the Lord and translate our problems into prayers together to our big God who is sovereign, what he does is he opens the gospel into our life, through our life, into friends and family and coworkers for blessing. All of us, if you are a human being, you want your life to count for eternity. And all of us are faced with challenges thinking that this little thing here, or big thing, this big problem in my life is hindering me from that mega blessing I want to see Jesus do through my life. But Acts 4, 23 to 31, is in the Bible to totally upend that way of thinking. That God can take even what looks like an obstacle in opposition and turn it for opportunity for the gospel. That's what we're going to learn together. So it looks like three things, okay? First, we're going to learn that we need to pray together. Second, pray to our big God. Third, pray for boldness, okay? That's, the, that's how this passage uh, kind of is outlined, okay? We need to pray together, pray to our big God, and pray for boldness to speak about Jesus. So first, let's, let's learn about praying together, verses 23 to 24. Just amazing, struck by the beauty of this, friends. Look at this. It's easy, easy to overlook how glorious this is. Verse 23, Peter and John they're released after being threatened and they don't post their grievances on Twitter. They don't update their Facebook profile with their miserable complaints. Verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what was said to them. Verse 24, and when the friends, friends, friends hear the report, they lift their voices together to God and pray, O sovereign Lord. Peter and John facing opposition, they bring this problem to their friends and their friends turn their problems into prayer to the sovereign Lord. That is why we need the church. The church is not a peripheral issue in your individual privatized Christian life. The church exists to encourage us together as a family 
to take our oppositions and problems to our brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus and to have them with us pray them our problems to the Lord who is sovereign asking him to move in a special way. Parkview, when the opposition in your life flares up, when that obstacle continues to remain in your life, do you have a few close friends here at Parkview that you can grab coffee with and talk to them about this opposition, talk to them about this obstacle, and together pray these things to the sovereign Lord? Do you have friends like that, just like Peter and John did? You see, prayerful solidarity with one another in love, loving and caring and knowing each other at such a deep level, praying to the sovereign God together, all of this in solidarity, this is one of God's major means of keeping you faithful to Jesus amidst the adversity and challenges that you will inevitably face as a faithful follower of Jesus in this broken and twisted world. If you feel like right now you're barely hanging on by a thread, might it be that you have not yet entered into the beauty and glory of verse 23 and 24 where you bring your opposition and obstacles to your friends who know you and love you and they bring your problems into prayer to the sovereign Lord. In fact, I know actually there are people here that have done that for me. And I know friendships have been created here. And so you must continue to do that. But if you are here and you're kind of on the perimeter of things and you're facing particular issues in your life as you're seeking to be faithful to Jesus, but things don't seem to be working as you thought they would, we've got to figure out a way to become honest with one another, to bring our opposition and problems to our friends who then turn them into prayers to the sovereign Lord. That's the first thing we must do as we face opposition in terms of faithfulness. We bring our problems to our friends. They pray them to the Lord. We must pray together as a church, a church praying together is the most glorious thing on planet Earth. But when we are together to pray, what should we pray? Well, we pray to our big God. This is our second point, verses 25 to 28. We pray to our big God. See, in terms of when we're facing obstacles and opposition, who we pray to is the first and foremost important thing that shapes what we pray for. Notice that in verses 25... It begins with a praise, sovereign God. And there's two aspects of God's sovereignty that are outlined in verses 25 to 28, okay? We pray to our big God. First, he is our sovereign creator of all things, right? Look at verse 24. They're quoting here Psalm 146. Psalm 146, sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Notice that God's sovereignty is comprehensive, Heaven, earth, sea, everything included in them. It's covering all that he has made. One author, Jeff Robinson, says it like this about God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means that not one maverick molecule, not one rebel subatomic particle exists outside of God's loving control. Not one maverick molecule outside of God's loving control, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. They have a big need and they turn to their big 
God. Your theology matters. In fact, how you pray and what you pray for will tell yourself what you actually believe about God. We all, I hope, I surely hope, we all, if we had a doctrinal sheet right here of all the key doctrines of the Christian faith, we would all give double thumbs up. God is sovereign. What this passage shows us, though, that sovereignty ought to be shaping how we pray. And so they turn to God's word, right? Emphasized in verse 25. Look down with me at verse 25. Who, sovereign creator, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So we see in one short verse a summary of what the Bible is. It's a fully human book from David's mouth, yet it's fully divine. God's ultimate source of his authority and his word, right? The Holy Spirit spoke. David speaking, Holy Spirit speaking. God is the final and ultimate author. But here's the practical advice, we might say. The practical help of this passage. God's people, what are they doing here? Quoting Psalm 146. Later they're gonna quote Psalm, Psalm 2. What they're doing is they're filtering their experience of challenge and opposition. They're filtering that through God's word. Because the facts of God need to redirect our feelings. The facts of God's word must redirect and shape our feelings. You see, like clouds, our feelings come and go. Especially when we are facing challenge and opposition and heartache as we're seeking to be faithful to Jesus. God's word, therefore, what we're seeing already, the church as an example for us, God's word is given to us by our heavenly father as the trustworthy, immovable mountains. The clouds may cover the mountains, but we need to understand the mountains are always there. Immovable, trustworthy, solid, reliable. The clouds may cover them, but the mountains are always there. God spoke his word. He is trustworthy. His word is fully reliable. And so we, like the church, need to filter our experience through his word. And by doing so, we gain perspective. In the midst of our challenges, we gain perspective on who God is and what he's actually doing in the midst of that opposition and challenges that we're facing. So he's the sovereign creator and the author of his word, but also, verse 25 and 28, it shows us that he is the sovereign planner of history. Again, the church filters their experience via God's word. The church quotes Psalm 2, verse 25 and 26. Psalm 2, why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed, Christ, the word there in the original, Christos, Christ, against his anointed. Now this psalm then is crucial for understanding the whole Bible. The Psalm 2, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 function as a gateway to the Psalms. And Psalm 2 is about God installing his Christ, his anointed king, as his representative ruler over his world. The quote here in verse 25 to 26 is the portion of Psalm 2 that explains that the world is in foolish opposition to God and his king. Like a, it's like a fly okay, trying to stop a speeding semi-truck. That's the foolishness of what's happening in Psalm 2. People are trying in vain to stop God's sovereign plan for his sovereign rule over their lives. That's what Psalm 2 explains, that outside of God's redeeming mercy in Jesus, that's what every human is doing. And a quick word to those of you here who are not yet Christians, 
what actually fundamentally is happening in your life right now is that you are opposed to God and his rule over your life, just as Psalm 2 is. And the call to all of us then, specifically if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, is to repent, to turn away from that foolishness and come under the loving rule of Jesus, God's king. But back to our text. But notice the church is doing, right? Psalm 2, in prayer, they're connecting the details of this psalm to the details of life that they've just experienced. Watch, look at verse 27. Notice the repeated exact wording of Psalm 2. For truly, so they just quoted Psalm 2. Then they say, for truly, Lord, in this city, there were gathered together, language of Psalm 2, against, language of Psalm 2, your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, language of Psalm 2, both Herod, who's a king, Psalm 2, and Pilate, who's a ruler, Psalm 2, along with the nations, the Gentiles, and the peoples of Israel, Psalm 2. And then it all heads to verse 28, the summary, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined, determined beforehand to take place, okay? Now, the focus on verses 25 to 28 is on, then, the minute, exact, detailed sovereignty of our big God. Thousands of years earlier, David is speaking, and he's saying these things will happen. People, nations, kings, rulers will all gather together against God's anointed king. And they will try to oppress him and oppose him and do things to him. And yet verse 28 is saying, you, sovereign Lord, are the big God whose plan determined beforehand that all of this, even this wicked opposition, was part of your plan. Like a big semi-truck versus that fly, the terrible opposition was all part of God's plan to crucify Christ and raise him from death so that newness of life could be proclaimed in his name. So here's the point. Don't miss this. Here's the point. We serve a big God with a big plan. And when we come to him with our big problems, that air in your life, that opposition, that obstacle, when we come to him with our big problems, the little flies of opposition cannot stop God's big unstoppable plan to see Jesus shine forth from his people. Listen, please, again. The point of this text, we're seeing this. Your opposition is not an obstacle in your life for ministry in Jesus' name. But through prayer to the big God who reigns over all, he can turn that obstacle into a gospel opportunity for Christ to shine forth through you. That's how good God is. Our big God rules over all things, always for our good and for his glory. So we're wondering, how can we faithfully respond when the challenges and opposition come at us as we want to be faithful to Jesus? Well, first, yes, we pray together, but our prayers focus on the bigness of our sovereign God who in his plan predetermined beforehand in eternity past that even the human wickedness of opposition against Jesus, that was all part of his plan to work out his good purposes for the gospel of Christ to advance. That's what God is doing. So we pray together. We pray to our big God. But when we're in prayer, what specifically should we pray for? What should we be praying for? As we pray together, there you are at the coffee shop. You've just unburdened your heart to your friend. This opposition is happening this obstacle is in my, in my life. I just hate it. And your friend reminds you, remember how sovereign God is and how good he is and how he's working all things for your good. And then what do you guys do if you're going to turn to pray? What do you, should you pray? Well, you pray for boldness. 
You pray for boldness, just like the church did, right? Boldness to speak about Jesus. Boldness that the gospel would move forward even in the midst of that obstacle in your life. Praying and not, this is, isn't this amazing? It's, it's a sign here in Acts 4 of a mark of a truly maturing and healthy church is one in which the members of that church pray not primarily for a change in the circumstances, not for God to stop the opposition and the challenges primarily, but a church gathering together to pray primarily for a fresh opportunity to boldly speak about Jesus and for his ministry to move forward in our lives. Verse 29, and now, Lord, because this is a transition, right? And now, Lord, in light of who you are, because you are the big God, sovereign over all things, look upon their threats, their opposition, look upon this opposition and remove it. No, and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word, the gospel, the gospel, the good word of Jesus, the gospel with all boldness, and then demonstrate the truthfulness and power of this word by stretching out your hand for healing and miracles to be performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Parkview. Our sovereign big God is like a father yearning to have his child come to him, bringing before him all of our needs and problems. He beckons us to pray for boldness, but that's so difficult for us. Why is it so difficult for us to keep first things first in the kingdom of God? Isn't it so easy? We're like that mirror in our car. We all have that mirror that says the problems appear close, closer, the, you know, the stuff, the vehicles appear closer than they really are, right? That's what all of us are like in our everyday lives. The problem in our lives are like that rearview mirror. They all loom larger and appear closer than they actually are because we are so weak. We are so frail and small. The problems and opposition seem so large. They feel so close to us. God feels so distant and remote in our everyday lives. And then there's the whole distraction of the American kingdom of apathetic comfort, which is way more tempting than the reality of Christ's kingdom of costly obedience. And what happens is we just, we keep looking at the mirror. The problems appear so big and so close. But God has given us a tool, a mechanism by which we fix our hearts and, and refocus our hearts, our eyes through his word and through prayer-saturated word reflection on the real God whose big bigness and sovereignty is ruling over all things in our life, always for our good and for his glory. By simply asking our big God for boldness, do you see what happens? There's an answered prayer in verse 31. But don't miss this, right? It's like a new pair of glasses. God, God prayer, saturated by God's word, helps us actually see things as they are. Otherwise, in our everyday lives, what, hap- what tends to happen in our Christian lives is uh, God gets very blurry, very distant and remote and far away, and the problems and the conflict and the challenges loom so large. Things appear closer than they actually are. And so we need prayer 
saturated by God's word, revealing his big purposes in his word, the more Bible intake, the clearer our glasses become of seeing who he is. And prayer is the means by which as we prayerfully read and meditate and speak about in community groups and in families and in friendships, the more we prayerfully speak about God's word, the bigger and bigger and bigger our God becomes, not because all of a sudden he literally is growing bigger. It's that he's always been mighty and majestic Lord over all things. It's just that we've been so focused on the rear view mirror that says the problems in your life appear closer and bigger than they actually are. And so we need prayer, but prayer filtered through the word of God to help us understand who God is, and then it sets our priorities in the proper place. And we begin to pray for prayers as our Lord Jesus has taught us, not first for our daily bread, though that is important, and we must pray at some point for our daily bread, but first, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done, your desire, Father, the passionate heart of the Father to see Jesus, his Son, known and cherished by your family members and friends and coworkers, that type of praying for boldness for that kingdom and that will to be done becomes the blazing center of your prayer life. Because Jesus Christ becomes so precious to your heart. And knowing Jesus personally and having friends and family members and coworkers knowing Jesus becomes the blazing passion of your heart as you prayerfully reflect and reframe your life in God's bigness through his word. Now, this is a tall order for us. A church that is passionately speaking about Jesus, then facing opposition, and then in response to the opposition, more prayers for boldness to speak more passionately about Jesus if we're honest, oftentimes our church doesn't operate in that fashion. We feel so distracted and we feel so limited and weak and fumbling and bumbling our way along. So how is it possible that we can become a church so radically devoted to the purposes of God? Well, the answer is in our text that we have to come back to seeing how big our God really is. And not just that he is the remote, distant creator but understanding the God revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ that this sovereign creator left the glory of heaven to come to earth and earth opposed to him in their sin. Jesus coming to proclaim and speak boldly the good news of his kingdom and yet facing severe opposition at every point. This big God facing terrible opposition threats against him for his life and eventually Jesus experiencing the greatest opposition of death by crucifixion. Parkview, there's no greater obstacle than having your hands and feet nailed to a cross in death. And yet that is what our sovereign God has done. And do you know what's happening at the cross? Just before the cross, what is Jesus doing in the garden? He's praying for what? He's praying to his big God, his Father, for boldness. He says, Father, your will be done, not my will be done. And Jesus goes straight for the cross with the joy set before him. Why? 
Because at the cross, Jesus boldly took on your greatest obstacle and opposition. Your sins before the holy God and the eternity of wrath that your sin deserves. That obstacle, through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ, was turned by the sovereign God of grace into the opportunity for you to know his love and forgiveness. Therefore, our big God right now is in the full-time business of taking the opposition in your life. This is the logic of the gospel, friends. Don't miss this this morning. If our big sovereign God can turn the obstacle of the crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth into resurrection power and life for sinners like you and me, then certainly our God is big enough to take the opposition and obstacles that you are facing right now in your life and by his loving, wise, kind, and patient sovereignty, turn them into opportunities for gospel blessing through your life in the name of Jesus Christ. Just look at the stunning picture of our big God in verse 31. He answers the prayer. The place shakes with his presence. The people are filled with the Spirit. And all of this tending towards the ultimate purpose of his people becoming bold speakers of the gospel of Christ. Friends, do you believe? Do you believe that what we just read in verse 31, that that same God is alive and well right here and right now. And if he is, then you can bring your opposition and your obstacles, and as a church, we can pray together to our big God who turns our obstacles and opposition for ultimate opportunities to speak boldly about Christ. Friends, The whole of history is tending toward ultimate glory and blessing through your life, through your life in the name of Jesus Christ. So let's pray boldly for more boldness to speak about this God, this big God who is so worthy of praise and worthy of speaking of him to our friends. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so thankful that you are the big God, sovereign over all things. We love you, and we pray as your church together, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them, look upon our opposition, look upon the threats that we face, look upon our obstacles, And through your predetermined plan, we trust, Father, that you are working all things for good in our lives for the gospel to advance through us so that you would get glory. And that is our passionate plea to you this morning, that Jesus Christ alone would be glorified and praised and known and cherished and loved as we at Parkview East would become a church that boldly proclaims Jesus. Nothing in our life can hinder us 
for the gospel advancing, Lord, because you are sovereign God. And if we would just pray, teach us to pray and pray and pray together as friends for this gospel because you are a big God. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.